whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out in Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, thanks very much for those readings. Uh, can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open at the Philippians reading, which was page 1181, if you've closed your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage in particular. As we carry on our series, looking at 24-7 discipleship, what it means to be a Christian throughout your whole week, not just on a Sunday, not just in your family devotions, not just in your house group, but actually throughout all that you do, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And we're thinking about in particular today, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ when you are shopping, which I know uh, many of us will be looking forward to. Well, let me pray for us as we uh, dig in in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness and grace to us, all that you've given to us. We recognise as coming from your hand of kindness, of love and grace. And we thank you especially for your word which you've given to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, we might afresh see you and hear your voice and be conformed to your likeness. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Well, in the news this week was the story of someone called Michelle Magar, who is a financial journalist. And she's just written a book called The No Spend Year describing her attempt to stop spending money for an entire year. She made the decision after looking at her outgoing and finding that she was spending money on all kinds of things that were wrong. She spent £1,570 a year in pubs, £1,110 in restaurants, and £400 on coffees. I'm not going to ask if anyone admits any of those. She didn't manage to completely stop spending throughout the year. She did have to spend a few pounds on a few essential things, but she saved 25,000 pounds in that one year. You would have expected at the end of that year she would be miserable with having to scrimp and save, but actually her testimony was this. I feel genuinely happier. I don't feel like I'm on the treadmill anymore, working to buy things that I think make me happier, or better looking, or more interesting. 
And I thought that was very revealing, that after a year of seeking to do less shopping, she felt happier, not miserable. You'll be glad to know that's not what I'm encouraging today. That's not what I'm going to bring out in the text. But I just wanted to highlight that story to suggest to you that shopping has great power in our lives. It affects everyone. But the question I want to ask is, how does being a follower of Christ affect shopping? And I've got two very simple thoughts to do with that today. Two ways that we should shop as followers of Christ. Firstly, we should shop from satisfaction. Not to satisfy ourselves through our shopping, but actually already having been satisfied by someone else. In the 1955 edition of the Journal of Retailing, at a time when the West was recovering from World War II and economic turmoil, a retail expert wrote the following vision for his fellow retailers. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption a way of life, that we convert the buying and using of goods into rituals, that we seek in it our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need these things to be consumed, burned up, replaced and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. This was back in the 50s, and I think today we're seeing the reaping of that vision, actually, of spirituality being mixed together with material retail and the two merging together, that actually as a society we shop to satisfy needs that shopping was never meant to satisfy. And that as Christians we're called to shop from a place of already having been satisfied in those needs. From the text this morning we can see that this was Paul's attitude to things that he received bought on his behalf. The context of the letter of Philippians, you'll know from last term if you were here and we went through it, is that it's mainly a thank you letter that Paul writes in prison in Rome. The Roman prison system was very harsh. They wouldn't provide food or clothing for you. You had to rely on that being bought for you and brought into prison on your behalf. And the Philippian church, it seems, after a long time, had heard of Paul's plight and sent Epaphroditus in with some hello <laughs> in with some money and some gifts and Paul is overwhelmed by their generosity he begins at verse 10 saying I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed you had been concerned but you had no opportunity to show it he's just so thankful he's so overwhelmed with joy but then unlike a normal thank you letter where you might say after Christmas, as a kid, to your granny, thank you for the jumper, I'm going to use it here and there. Thank you for this wonderfully knitted scarf that I am really going to enjoy. Thank you for these gifts. Paul immediately says the complete opposite, actually. He says, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, but I've learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances. He's basically saying, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't really need it. And he might... At first observation, seems to be very rude here. How rude to say that in a thank you letter. But actually, that's not what's going on, of course. He doesn't want his readers to mix the message of his joy with the wrong thing. He's rejoicing because of their generosity, because of them and their love. He's not rejoicing, actually, at the material gifts he's been brought to help him in prison. 
And he can do that because he's learned independence from material needs. He goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then verse 13, he says what the secret is. He says, because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You see, Paul had learned an independence from material things because of his dependence on Christ and his strength. He'd learned a secret through many years that meant that if he had lots around him, he was happy. And if he had little around him, he was also happy. He was satisfied instead by Christ. That's where his needs were satisfied most deeply and fundamentally. And all else was extra to that. And I think applying this to shopping, this is the most crucial lesson to learn as a follower of Christ in how we shop. We don't shop to satisfy our deepest needs. It's never meant to do that. We shop out of a place of already having been satisfied by Christ in our deepest needs. And shopping is extra to that. If you don't have it that way around, shopping can become very dangerous. Trying to use it to satisfy needs that were never meant to be satisfied. And there are a number that I could outline, but one in particular that shopping often is used to try and satisfy, if I'm honest, is the need for happiness. The need for happiness. Many of you will have heard of the term retail therapy. And sometimes we joke about it, that we just need some retail therapy. We just need to go window shopping to calm the nerves. Or I just need to go into that boutique to see the latest thing that they've got to bring a bit of pleasure. Especially in the midst of stress and strain. It's very easy, I found here at church, for people to walk out and go straight to Debenhams and have a wander around. And just, ah, uh, isn't that wonderful? All these wonderful clothes and all these wonderful things around me. And there is some sense in which uh, that's not the worst thing in the world to do, but actually it's not a very healthy attitude. That actually shopping isn't meant to satisfy that need for pleasure and for happiness and fulfilment. It's not meant to do that at all. That buzz of great feelings and release of endorphins when you see a great bargain, 70% off, and you think, if I buy that, I'm going to feel great. I've saved so much money. Or seeing that thing that you've longed for, to, you've saved up for, and finally you can buy it. And you bring it home and unwrap it and start to use it. Oh, how wonderful that is. How great. Oh, this is making me happy. Well, sas- satisfaction in those things often comes from shopping. But, actually, it never lasts. It never lasts. You see, the buzz that is created through buying that latest thing or finding that bargain soon wears off. And very soon you find yourself needing to buy another thing to create that same buzz. And then another thing. And for some, sadly, very dangerously, they end up addicted. Often addicted when one can't afford to be addicted. The levels of debt and shopping have increased year upon year for the last five years because of this, actually. That need to find fulfilment and joy through purchasing things. When actually, the Christian faith offers another alternative. It says that actually that deep need for joy is a true need. It really is. 
but it can only be met in one place and in one person. And of course, that person is the Lord Jesus. This isn't super spirituality. This is reality, actually, that it can be found in him. God says in Isaiah 55, the following, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labour on that which does not satisfy? Mm. Our deepest needs are not met through what can be bought with money, but actually what was being bought for us at the cross. Jesus giving his life for us that we might have that loving, lasting relationship with God that creates true joy as it's cultivated in life, that abounds through us and satisfies those needs. Don't let shopping try and replace that. It's not meant to. It's not meant to. Well, that was the first way that we should shop, from having already been satisfied, not for satisfaction. And secondly, from this passage, I want to suggest that another way that we should be shopping is to shop for God. And that sounds a bit strange, so I'll explain that in a moment. But having been gone with a bit of a warning about shopping, our passage actually seems to highlight another attitude that we can have towards shopping, which is a bit more positive. You see, in Paul's second moment of thanks in the passage, he writes to the Philippians and says that it was kind of them, that it was good of them to share in his troubles. That, as he goes on, they had repeatedly sent him gifts, sent him need, on his missionary journeys, unlike any other church, actually. And he is very thankful. He receives it with gratitude. And not only that, he calls it an acceptable sacrifice to God, that through these things, they were actually giving them to God and his mission being fulfilled through Paul. It's a fragrant offering, he says, an acceptable sacrifice to God. And it's important to understand that the church in Philippi had started, we know from Acts 16, in the house of a businesswoman, Lydia, the seller of purple cloths. And actually, no doubt, her financial generation through selling, through retailing, and those of other business people had contributed to the material needs that Paul had received time and time again. And yet he doesn't call this dirty money. He calls it a fragrant offering instead. He says, actually, yes, you've been engaged in the retail business, but you've given it as unto the Lord, and it's become an acceptable sacrifice. It's become a wonderful thing, your shopping life, your shopping business. And then he goes on and says that as a result of you honouring God, God will honour you. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And then he sums it up, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, that in both the receiving of material things and the giving of material things, the glory belongs to God. That actually he should be at the centre of this, all the transactions, all the flowings backwards and forwards to do with material goods that are given as a blessing, that he's to be at the centre. And this is key, I think, applying this to our shopping lives, how we shop, that actually it should be for God, with him at the centre, for his glory. 
that actually when we buy that thing that we really needed and we find it's a wonderful thing to receive into the household, we say thank you to him, saying thank you for giving me the money to enable me to purchase this doing it as an act of worship to him. It comes from him. He gives us freedom as to how to use the money he provides for us. But in that freedom, we don't forget that actually it's a sign of his generosity to us to provide for our needs. That as you fill that fridge, you say thank you. As you open that Amazon pack, you say, Lord, thank you that I've been able to buy this. That this has come from you. This has come from you. It's to your glory. And then as you're making decisions about what to buy, you make those decisions thinking about God's glory, what's going to glorify him most. So a very practical example. You're deciding where to go on holiday. Do you spend a lot of money to take a flight abroad into a sunnier climb and to rest on a beach? Or do you not use that money and take your car, to the New Forest to camp in the rain? It's an interesting question. <clears throat> For some, the answer will be, yes, let's go abroad and fly to the beach. For some, it'll be, no, camping will do. And the issue at stake is God's glory. What will glorify him most? Is it that actually flying abroad and having that rest and renewal will recharge you so that when you come back, you're able to work harder to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. Is that going to glorify him most? Or is it that actually you don't need that to glorify him? And actually what's going to glorify him most is perhaps saving that money and spending it on something else or giving it to someone or something. What's going to glorify him more? It's an individual decision. And it will apply to nearly everything that we buy, from the clothing that we wear for ourselves the money we spend on children and grandchildren, even the money we might spend on hobbies. The ultimate question is, does this lead to God's glory, or is it more about self-indulgence? There's no legalism here, but it's a question that we ought to be asking as we shop. Does this glorify Jesus, or doesn't it? Well, I want to end with a very practical way of working out how to do this. Um, it's the beginning of the month, and many of you in the post will have received one of these. It's a bank statement or credit card statement. You either have it online, and you can print it off if you want to, or you have it posted. Actually, I'm a bit of a Luddite, and I still have mine posted. And in it are detailed all your transactions, all the things that you've bought over the last month. And I'm going to issue a bit of a challenge for when you receive this, or if you have already received it and you've opened it. And that is to go through each and every one of them and to say thank you. To say thanks to God for the things that he's enabled you to buy. Thank you that you've enabled me to go to Greg's and have that pasta. <laughs> thank you for that Waitrose shop that really blessed me that week. Thank you so much. But then also to go through and ask the question, did this glorify God? And that can be quite a broad question. Did that purchase at the Bombay Bay Curry House glorify God? Was it part of fellowship with friends that helped me to make much of him? Or was it just satisfying my need for a curry? 
Did it glorify God? Just ask him the question, very realistically, how much is my shopping glorifying him? It's going to be a bit of a challenge, let me say. It might be slightly painful, but as you do this, as you very practically put God's word into action, it will change you. It will form your disciples and help you to do what you should be doing all along, which is to shop with God in mind, the one who satisfies our needs, who's gracious to us, and who provides for us that we might do it to his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing in response to that. Uh, Number 460 in our hymn books. 4C.